Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Splits. Splits are these bonus shows that we do here on Turned Out of Punk where we bring back two people that have been on the show previously that may or may not know each other, and then we have another conversation about music Today, two people that definitely know each other very, very well. They've toured together, uh, but I don't think they've seen each other for a few years, so we, we definitely reunite them here today. Danko Jones and Chris Murphy from Sloan. That's right. Two, two of my favorite front people, two Toronto music icons, even though Chris is originally from Halifax, but two Toronto music icons, and boy, do we have some fun. Uh, before we get to that, though, and I'm really excited for you to hear this thing, Sloan has a new B-Sides compilation that has just come out. This is volume two of the B-Sides win. This one covers 1998 to 2001. And if you are a Sloan fan, you know that some of their best songs are buried as B-Sides. They have, they are a band that puts out song after song of hits. And some of these, some of my favorite ones are these B-Sides songs. So you can pick that up now over there at sloanmusic.com. You'll also find upcoming uh, show information and things like that. And speaking of show information, Chris Murphy from Sloan will be doing a solo show, Chris Murphy Gets High Park, where he will be going around High Park, playing music. Spoiler, the dude's straight edge, so I guarantee he does not smoke weed. And if he does smoke weed and didn't call me for his edge break, well, this will be the last time he gets invited on Turn Out of Punk. But you can find out more information uh, over at Sloan Dude on Instagram, at Sloan Dude on Instagram. Uh, I'm sure you can find out more information uh, over here at SloanMusic.com. I would hope they'd have a link to it. I'm sure they would have it for there. But that is on October the 24th. Get your tickets now. Chris is uh, Chris is going to be hilarious in that chat on this thing as well. And it starts at 5 p.m. But I think with these things, you can watch them a little bit later. Yeah, I don't know. It, says, it says right here, I'm reading the press release as I'm talking to you. It says here you'll be able to watch it until November the 1st. So from October 24th till November 1st, you buy this thing and then just watch it over and over and over again. Like maybe two or three times a day. You know, just, just get a good base coat in there. And also my buddy Danko Jones has got a brand new record out called Power Trio. This thing is a monster. It is awesome. Uh, he is going to be going on tour with, well, he and the band Danko Jones will be going on tour. They'll be playing St. Catharines and all sorts of places around uh, Southern Ontario and, and Ontario, I guess, in general in December and then going over to Europe in the new year. You can find out more information over there at DankoJones.com. Oh boy, this is a good one. There's definitely going to be some people that do not want to come on this show after this episode airs, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Sit back. Relax and enjoy Danko Jones and Chris Murphy on Turned Out of Punk Splits. <laughs> All right. We are here on uh, Turned Out of Punk Splits. This has been a long time coming. I'm here with two of the greatest front people of all time, oh, two Canadian on. icons. 
I'm here with my friend, Chris Murphy. Chris is number one. Chris no. is number one. <laughs> and returning to the show, my longtime co-host and and uh, co-compatriot from the Black Coffee Brigade, Danko Jones. So here we are. Welcome. Oh, I can't believe we're doing this. I've been talking about this for so long. I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to shit all over your fanfare but like i don't consider myself a front person but i guess i for the context of this i'm happy to hang with you guys but i well, anyway sorry Who be i want to keep, keep the excitement keep the excitement up a uh, kind of the front person i suppose you're but, in the middle but yeah, i have to stage. but i always have to play it i'm always like i want to say more and i'm always you know i'm about to you know i i'm, I'm I try to say something and then Andrew counts in the song. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, how's everybody doing? Click, click, click. That's no. happened to me too. <laughs> that's, that's how you know you're a front person when the rest of the band doesn't want you to talk anymore. Then right, you're the exactly. front person. Right. Yeah. So this is this is a thrill. Um, I, I wanted to kind of find out because I always associate you guys with each other because I think, you know, you guys toured together a little bit and, you know, Danko, you're in the video, the Sloan video and stuff like that. But I always wondered, how did you guys actually meet each other? I would say that, that I first heard of you. Did I meet you before you were in the band? I I, mean, I first heard of you no. guys. I think I think Jay Ferguson saw you guys in some basement of some some yeah. some house party or something, and he was yeah. like, "Holy shit, this band is unbelievable!" And he was following you, and and uh, we we had was it ninety seven, ninety six. 96 yeah. your first record come out in like 2002 like yeah. but like how did that why did you wait so long anyway yeah, we don't have to talk about that saga yeah but uh like i feel like we kind of felt like we knew about you guys kind of as you were starting to happen and we had just sort of moved to town and we kind of felt like we were really attached to our scene in halifax and went back to hardcore scene and everything in the 80s and then we moved to toronto and then we lost all our context context and we didn't really have friends basically so we kind of basically glommed onto you guys and the snakes and these you know trying to like we're cool too right guys <laughs> well you guys well, moved here you guys played shanghai right like just after you moved here under like a fake name we played shanghai yeah uh dan burke i guess put that yep. show on and i forget who all played maybe did the snakes play probably i don't know you guys played under like i can't remember the name but i remember it being like a big thing. salon selectives we sometimes did that yeah i saw that show okay yeah i remember I told, I told jay and i didn't really mean it i kicked myself after but i, I did say to jay uh you guys you guys didn't practice or something like that <laughs> for the show <laughs> and i didn't realize it until jay's reaction uh, how right. how insensitive that was well you um, could have said it to me i it, that would roll off me it would st jay probably remembers it to this day <laughs> So we we thought you know we thought of ourselves as cool. We moved to to Toronto and we're like who you know who can we hang out with? Like all a lot of our you know we had some friends who moved up there. You know the the Thrushermit guys were kind of some of the guys who had moved up there, and uh, the, the the super friends kind of became the flashing lights, and we kind of hung out with those guys. And we had uh, did we have you guys on tour with us in was it ninety seven? Was it that early? It was for Between the Bridges. Okay, so ninety nine. But, but we opened say, for you for for that for one chord to another. Okay, so that's the concert hall. That's which like is ninety seven. Yeah, maybe even ninety six. Okay, ninety seven. But uh, but I would 96. say that 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 we learned a lesson from you guys touring with us, which is never again. 
like you guys blew us away every time. So oh. like from then on, we were like, we're only going to have a uh, rinky dink acts who can barely play could, you know, barely get through a set or <laughs> I, I, I want, and, I, Danko, and then we come out and kick ass as opposed to like, we're coming on and Danko's just played and everybody's exhausted and lying down on the ground. Or well, I remember this one show we played with you guys and I think it was, Andrew I, I was not, I was not happy about it. I was just like, this fucking sucks. You got, like <laughs> people were so fucking no, destroyed. But, and then we came out like, hi, everybody. You guys killed. Everyone loved Any, you. Anyway. After yeah. every show, there's like a crowd around Chris. He always plays it like this, but yeah. but yo, but this isn't. He's just not saying this now for your benefit. When I met Chris, for kind of the well, I met you a few times, but like when I think I really met you for like the final time when we actually kind of like started knowing each other. You're talking to uh, me, yeah, I met you at, at uh, a party. A party. No, at- it it was after the party. It was when we were okay. at South by Southwest. Okay, at that party that David Cross emceed, and did he's a sorry on MC too? Maybe so. I don't know. I, I did. I wouldn't have even known who that was at the time. Probably. I was yeah. a David Cross fan though, for sure. Yeah. Cause it was like, there were two stages. It was at red seven. So there was like one stage and then there was this other stage and we were on the other stage and we played with Keith Morris and you came out and mosh for us and stuff. Yeah, and, and you were like, Oh, we were, we we're chatting and I'm like, we got to play with you sometime. You're like, no, that's never going to happen. I learned my mistake from Danko Jones. We're never gonna have anyone more high energy than us <laughs> ever again. Well, it's 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 literally the lesson we learned. It's like, yeah, yeah we should have these guys play, but no, nah, I don't think so because you know we basically it has to be either some rinky dink act. Actually, we don't we don't tour with anybody anymore. We're, we're like it's we kind of have this closed loop. You know, we just open for ourselves and we do these long, boring shows because there's so many records and we try to. And we have a new record and we're going to play ten new songs. Boo! <laughs> so, but uh, you know, we're just competing with ourselves because we have so many songs now. But I think every band winds up competing with themselves. Like, even if you have like three seven inches, eventually you're competing with that first seven inch, you know, like yes. everyone's experienced that thing where you go to Europe and they're like, oh, you used to be way better. And that's <laughs> like, that's like, what, what do you mean? I used to be way better. And it just like, it cuts to your core. Cause you know that you've changed, but like to hear someone articulate it to you and it can, so it doesn't matter if you're like um, three records deep or 20 records deep. Well, it's certainly the nature of a lot of, punks and or like people who define themselves by records you know once somebody else discovers them then you sort of like oh well i can't i have to go find something else i can't you know everybody knows who fucked up is now you know that's that's whack i think it's also like you get so much of music like is is like nostalgic attachment to it you know there's like stuff that i know is objectionably bad that I like because I heard it at a certain time in my life. And when I listen to it now, it brings me back there. Right. And so like, no matter what you're competing with someone's nostalgia, it has nothing to do with what you're doing musically. Are you, you trying to get Danko and me to talk about kiss? <laughs> no, but let's get there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, they, you know, remain my favorite band. It's hard to top for me, but it's like, you know, I was into them from grade two to grade five, like nothing else, but just kiss the whole time. So it's hard. It's hard to, hard to, you know, it's actually funny. Do you know, do you know who Ken Sharp is, the writer? Yeah. Right. He writes about, you know, power pop and stuff, but he's written about Kiss. Have you read that, that Kiss book, that Ken Sharp yeah. book? Yeah. But um, so I've talked to him in the, in the Sloan power pop context or whatever. Um, but oh, anyway, cool. um, but he was talking about, he was, he was going on about how good, he was asking me kind of when I got off the Kiss train, which was about, I, I, I bought Dynasty in 1979, but I didn't buy the subsequent albums. 
and he was going on about how this other record uh, called Unmasked. He was like, oh, it's power pop. It's so great. You got to listen to it. And I had literally never heard it. So two or three years ago, I put it on and it was interesting as someone who had never really heard it. I was like, I'm going to be listening to this. It's amazing. Kind of, kind of period specific. You know, I wonder if I'm going to like it. And I thought it was terrible. Oh, but if I had if I had heard it at the time, I'm sure it would be my favorite album. It's really good. It's a really good album. You think it's great? <laughs> like, eh? The look of yeah. frustration on your Danko like that was mad. So did, did you stay with them? Did you stay like did you stay with them right to through everything? No, no, I didn't. Um, there's pockets where I I got off the train and then I would go and then back you get back and, on. Okay, yeah, I, and I and I go back and see what I missed and then, I mean, you with unmasked. I mean, it's not as if I didn't hear it when it came out, but I've recently uh, grown uh, an appreciation for Carnival of Souls because I think that is a very underrated album now. Whereas before, I was just dismissing it outright. I, I don't even I don't even know what that is. That was the album that they made, the grunge album they made, and they they canned it because they got back together for the reunion makeup tour okay. and it was their grunge album on their non-makeup, their last non-makeup grunge album. They were trying to be like, did Alice it come out? Did it come out or not come out? So it came out, you know, after, after they had reunited and all the hoopla and they just kind of like threw it out there. And they did action figures for it too. Right. I know they did for, psycho circus action figures, but yes, they also yes. did that one too or something, or they, they did, they did uh, two, well, that I know of two different sets of Psycho Circus okay. uh, series. Yeah, series of Psycho Circus with each member's, um, what do you call it, spirit animal? So right. The, 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 the Peter Chris had like a, some sort of panther or something. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> what else? <laughs> what did Ace have? Did I ever tell you guys, did I ever tell you the story about when I uh, interviewed Paul Stanley? Did I tell you that? Story? No, no, no. So I was on Q107 with Hungry Dog, whatever his name was. <laughs> and uh, and then he was like, you know, and he's on the air. And he's like, remember next week, going to be talking to Paul Stanley of Kiss. He's going to be in town doing Phantom of the Opera. And I was like, okay. And then when and then after we were off the air, I was like, I'm a huge Kiss fan. Like, is there any way that when you interview him, I can, can just come down and somehow watch or pretend I work here or something? And he said, I'm under, and then he called me later. I said, I'm interviewing him at, at Tower Records at uh, Queen and Young for Phantom of the Opera. Do, do, you don't, do you mind if I like take three minutes to tell the story? Dude, this is what this show oh, okay. is built okay. for. I'm, I'm, I'm Team Paul. I love, I love okay. Paul's fan. Uh, I, 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 Paul was always my least favorite as a kid, and now I feel, find him the most sympathetic, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's the best. So then, coincidentally, uh, I went to see Bad Religion at the Cool House or the Warehouse or whatever it was called. Was that in Law? Uh, I don't know. It's like 99. Oh, okay. It might have been. Yeah, th that would have been the next tour after. Okay. Well, I, I went I was to there. see that. Well, And I, I met Brian Baker because I had met Brian Baker in in 86 pretending to be to, pretending to need an interview for a radio station but just to going backstage like a jackass with a tape recorder and uh in in montreal but when he was with dag nasty 
And then, and, and I have too many sub stories. And at which time he told me how into the, the David Lee Roth solo album he was. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, aren't you punk? Am I allowed no, to? No, that's what no, I like. That's the best. Because <laughs> it's Junkyard, right? Like, Yeah. He, when he was on the show, he was so honest about it. Every turn, he's like, I just wanted to find a successful band. I'm going to be honest with you. He nearly joined R.E.M. No. Yeah, dude, it's in the it's in the Bad Religion book. He was up for the job as a touring guitarist in R.E.M., at the same time that he was up for the job in Bad Religion. And it went so far as that there was apparently a Michael Stipe, I want to say meeting, but maybe it was just a action phone figure. call. No, with Ian McKay. <laughs> and Ian McKay, Michael Stipe, uh, action figure here, I'm saying it, phone call about whether or not Brian Baker would be a good fit oh, for on. REM. And, and Ian, did he endorse him? Yeah, Ian said he would. It would be a great fit. <laughs> wow. Good. I don't know if it would have been a good fit. I think, I think it worked out best for all parties involved in the end well anyway so i met him in 86 you know, he, which he wouldn't remember nor would he remember meeting me in 99 but anyway i was a big fan but uh and so that night so this is the night before i was to be part of this paul stanley interview for because he was going to be he was he was the lead in phantom of the opera right yeah and so so he was going to have to be a lot more accessible than he had been in kiss like he was going to have to do these like rinky dink interviews and stuff with like jackasses like me so, but, but the night before I was just driving by tower records on my bike, coming back from cool house or whatever it's called. And, uh, and there was a giant lineup of kiss fans, like, w like waiting overnight to meet Paul, like the, at tower <laughs> records. And I went and hung out with them and was talking to them and they were such nerds. It was insane. And, and, uh, and then I ended up going out for a drink with them. They were like, we're going to like hold our, hold our spot. And like the, there was a woman, she had one leg and she was holding the spot for these other nerds. And I went for a drink with them and they were all kind of taking me aside and telling me how their special relationship with them. It's like, I know so-and-so who's Jean's roadie. And he told me that like, and, and, and there was a woman there and she's like, I slept with Bruce Cullick. And he told me that Paul's gay or whatever, like just whatever, just like craziest stuff. But, but the next day I went to, to the tower records. So I hung out with them, went the next day to tower records. Didn't know how it was going to run. I was like, am I going to speak or am I going to be? So it, I, there was a stage set up with a giant, you know, 20 by 20 foot airbrushing of the Paul Stanley solo album for no, no reason. And he's supposed to, all he wants to do is talk about Phantom of the Opera and all anyone <laughs> wants to do is talk about Kiss. It was just like, a, it was a shame, it was a sin. So I got in there, I, Hungry Man, Coogan, Paul and I are on the stage. I met Paul in a little elevator at the third floor and he gave me a wet fish handshake. I was like, oh, he's not, he, he, he thinks I'm like a ironic, like, cause I was, you know, in a fucking golf jacket or I don't know what I was in. And he, I was like, I'm a big fan. And he probably just thought I was a smart ass, but, and, and it got off to a bad start because I said, listen, I was here last night and I met some people who have been in line for like, you know, 17 hours. I'm going to get one of them to ask a question first. Gus, where's Gus? Is he out there? Uh, yeah. Do you have a question for Paul? And he's like, uh, I guess so. Well, a lot of people know that kiss tickets aren't selling very well, and is that why you're doing it? And I was like, Oh my god! And so, like, Paul thinks that I'm setting him up to be, look like a dick, and so he's like, totally, totally, like, turning away from me. Like, and I was like, Oh god! And but the other, just the, if I can just, just a tiny bit more time, just the nerd. Take of your time, dude. This, this is amazing. Fan. They're like. 
uh, hey, Paul, and all and he's always trying to return re it around to talk about Phantom of the Opera. It's like, Paul, a lot of uh, people uh, don't have a lot of things, uh, nice things to say about Gene after the uh, Kiss My Ass uh, uh, soundtrack or whatever of all these cover bands. Where, uh, and whatever happened to Angel? Like whatever happened to the band Angel or whatever? Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know, but you know, the Phantom is playing. It's like, Paul, are we gonna be able to? We are gonna be able to wear our own uh, our kiss shirts to the to the Phantom? It's like, well, yeah, but dress up, you know, just like it was. <laughs> and and uh, and I was making jokes that Paul was not liking. Uh, I was like, I was like. Uh, well, a lot of people, maybe I didn't say this because I chickened out because I said a couple things that was driving them nuts. Um, what did I say? I was saying like, I, I, one joke was like, a lot of people, I heard that they wanted Ace to do this, but he wouldn't do it. But then now they... <laughs> you didn't say that to him. I think I, I think I did not. I don't have it. I don't have it at all in order. I was ready to go with that, but I had pissed him off three times in a row. So I, I chickened out on that one. And... Uh, Oh, I forget. I had other stories. I'll, I'll come back to it. I can't. I can't really remember. But did uh, you end up being friends with Paul? No, no. It was nothing. Oh. He was. He was not. He didn't seem smart. He was guarded and no fun. I. I kind of hoped that we would hit it off some some way. I think we would more now, or I would be less freaked out. And and uh, anyway, I, I. I. I read Paul's book and I've read all their books, but uh, he seems sympathetic to me. He seems like a lovely guy. Yeah, and he's always uh, coming in and trying to save face for Jim's... yeah, put out the fire of this yeah. asshole. Yeah, yeah, the poor guy. I, th I think that Phantom thing—he was taking so much heat for it. You know, like no one was happy about him doing that. <laughs> like Kiss, oh, Kiss fans really? weren't. I just think no. I remember I know, but... like people reviews were pretty harsh for his performance. Back That's then. too bad. Or maybe I'm thinking more uh, Sebastian Bach because didn't he do oh Jekyll and Hyde? He did Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde too. He got really harsh criticism for that too. Which, it's a hard did, which, thing. Did he play Jekyll or Hyde? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> as Paul Stanley was doing it, and sometimes I felt like he was kind of reaching for notes and stuff, but I'm like, I put myself in his place. I was like, who else in the world could do this from the rock community? Like, it's like Freddie Mercury. Like, it's nobody. It's Robert, Halford. Robert. Yeah, Rob Halford could. Sure. Okay. My point Jeff, being. Jeff Tate could. Jeff I could Tate do it. Could. I could do it. You know, you guys don't believe in me, but I could do it. You could do it. It would be, yeah, it would be a little bit different. Anyway, sorry. In, in the end, in the end, he was so mad at me that I kissed his ass by saying, "I think a lot of people here would like to see a, like to see Paul, like a, an original recording of the cast with Paul as the lead." And everyone's like, "Yeah." Oh no! I said. I also said. Uh, I also said to him, "Is like, has anybody ever? Uh, have you ever thought about like the idea of this phantom and the idea of kiss, like putting the mask on, taking the mask off, putting the mask back on?" He's like. You're smarter than you think. You're smarter than you look, or whatever. Like he was, he had to give it to me there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just felt so bad for the guy. Like the Kiss fans, I can talk about Kiss for a long time. I swear, I'll, I'll wrap it up. But uh, dude, there's no time limit. Don't worry, just go, go. Like this is this is this is gold. Well, don't you think? Do you think that? Uh, do you think Kiss is blamed for the failure of the New York Dolls? Discuss. <laughs> Well, is it, is it, no, it's, it's Aerosmith. They talk about in Please Kill Me. There's like a scene when it's, um, I think it's Johnny Thunder's funeral. And uh, th someone takes Stephen uh, Perry 
uh, aside or Steven Tyler side, sorry, uh, not Joe Perry. Right? Steve sorry. Perry again. <laughs> Steve Perry. <laughs> I love Steve Perry. From Journey. Um, but he, and he like and and Steven Tyler like is is really upset and he's like and he freaks out at him about it or something. I don't know. There's a, there's a scene with Aerosmith at the funeral of Johnny Thunders in the end of Please Kill Me. Really? Yeah, I got to reread that book at some point. I can't remember that part. Yeah. Do but guys, I know people compare Joe Perry to Johnny Thunders a lot. So sorry. I always think Joe Perry looks like uh, Tommy Thayer. Um, do you know? Do you know the? Uh, do you know who? Do, do you know the editors of Please Kill Me? Like the the book. Legs McNeil. Legs McNeil and. Yes. Um, do you know the woman? What's her face? Yeah, I follow her on Instagram, and I, I can't remember her name right now. But yeah, well, it's J- Jillian McCain. That's right. And she's. She's a McCain, like from the McCain's, like McCain's fries in like her name on Instagram is like GM fries or something like that. But, GMC um, or yeah, G, yeah. But anyway, she, she's Whoa. lovely. And she went to, she went to university in Halifax. So she, she passed oh, through there and she, she dated Scott Kendall, who was in the jellyfish babies who were yeah. Sloan's biggest, uh, you know, influence, like they were the coolest band in from like 85 to 87 in, in Halifax kind of thing. But when she, she dated Scott during that time, she was in going to Dalhousie or Kings at that time and, and going to shows and stuff. And I've been in touch with her. I, I've known her peripherally. She, I know that she wrote a, uh, I, I found uh, a, an old article from like Nerve magazine or something like I forget what it was, but like she wrote a she wrote a review review, review of the first uh, Sloan album, and of course all she all she wanted to say in the article was that that we came from a long line. You know, they were not the first band. There was like dog food and the Jellyfish Babies and all these things, um, to which I would uh, agree or be the first to admit. But I've been in touch with her uh, somewhat on uh, Instagram in the past year, and we're just yeah. real, realizing that we were at you know. Were you at that show at Center for Art Tapes where the Jellyfish Babies played and whatever? Like it was just—it's interesting that we were we were in the same place in '85. We didn't really know each other, but it's crazy how many people were in that place in '85, right? There's obviously all you guys and and the whole scene that kind of comes out of your scene. But she's there. Sarah McLaughlin's there. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those. I don't know. I'm like really fascinated by that. But from doing the podcast, like there's a, there's this high school in Seattle, and. El Duce was there. Nikki Six was there. The Screamers were there. Sir Mix-a-Lot was there. Like all these people came out of this like one high school. But it's kind of like, you know, like a, a a version of that with all you guys winding up doing stuff. Like it's like yeah, Belitsky was there. That. Mike Mike Belitsky from the from the who's in the Sadies. Yep. Uh, yeah. He's, he's from that from that time too. Guilt Parade. Guilt Parade. They were they played. Uh, Oh no! Mike no, not, was not, like, not Mike Belitsky. Gilfrey. Sorry, well, Gil no. Parade, I mean... came like Jeff Beardall. Like uh, Gilfrey played in Halifax in April, uh, nineteen eighty-six, and blew my mind. Like they were so good. Wasn't yeah. Dallas good in Gilfrey for a while? No, Sean well, was not, not then. But oh, I, Sean was. I've seen Gilfrey with Dallas. Oh, I think maybe when they because they moved to Toronto in the end. They, well, did they, their became, last... they were like St. Natras after that. Which was Dallas was in St. Natras. Yeah, because yeah. Jeff and yeah, Jeff was there with yeah. Also yeah. Rustin from uh Trigger Happy and stuff was and uh Chronic Submission, I think, was in St. Natras for a while. Oh. Maybe I know I'm Bernie, mistaken on that. Bernie from the Stinkies 
was in the St. Notras, who had joined the subhumans, I believe. It's it's amazing how uh, you know, just like I what I, one more one more St. Notra that I could make up. <laughs> how many people would just name eleven? Dude, that's what this show is. <laughs> it's just only... naming people and naming records. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. Bernie no, I throw out Bernie's name because Bernie's like a, for me, he's like an unsung, you know, Toronto music hero who moved to Vancouver. So Toronto people, not everyone knows, but when Bernie was around, I mean, Satan's arch enemy, God, Worm King versus the hygiene squad. These are great bands. And he was in St. Notras and Stinkies. So what, what the bands that you're mentioning that of which I've never heard, what year is that? Like, when do you start going to shows? Well, this is like late '90s. The the bands that I okay, just so made. I was I was here, but just like head up my ass or whatever. Well, Bernie and Dallas were like they were a pair, you know. They were I think Dallas was in Worm King versus the Hygiene Squad. Okay, I don't know who that is. Maybe I know who Bernie is, like from to see him, but I don't know. Bernie Pleskatch. All right, I'm sure you know. He's, he's awesome. He's like rock and roll and. and rolled up in in one one guy all he's awesome i i love bernie he's and he ended up in, he ended up in vancouver yeah yeah he's in vancouver now i can't wait till like you know because you know have you seen that book chris that just came out the uh the uh the toronto metal book that Derek emerson just put out with a bunch of people no. is it eve this? of darkness yeah eve of I, darkness sorry i have not it's not the same as that that hardcore book it's it's like the sequel it's, it's the but exact it's, same it's, people. It's the same, it. it's the same, same group. Yeah. So I, I, I haven't seen the metal one. I, I have the hardcore one. But, the metal uh, one's incredible. The, like, yeah. I love the hardcore one. And obviously that music's much closer to my heart. But the metal one is, I think, even more impressive. Yeah. Well, it was, I, I, I don't know if the metal one was pressed at the same place, but I have a buddy who runs like a, a, a like a printing, a print shop, like a, called flash reproductions do you know that guy his name is rich rich poppet he's a cool guy and they made the they made the hardcore book there like well, one, Derek, of the guy, one of the guys who works there Derek works there yeah, works okay. there yeah. Yeah. yeah okay that's that guy yeah he works at flash Derek used to be an msi Rick. right okay um back in the day and stuff but they, i can't wait till they do a book about the era we're talking about because i think there is a book there and uh it would be really fascinating to kind of like you know, have all these bands and have all the lineages kind of drawn out so you can see where all these different people went. Cause it's, it's really the roots of like the can rock explosion internationally that eventually happens, you know, when broken social scene and feist and, and all these bands kind of blow up and yourselves going around, like it's all like Rivoli scene, I guess Sloan was already huge by that point, but I, I don't, I don't think we get to be in that book, but uh, you we'll guys coming our, to Toronto we'll was a big own, thing. We'll have our own book. <laughs> Are you doing your own book? No, but we've been sort of tappy pulling our career by doing reissues of our records and having 32 page books in each one just on that, you know, telling a way longer story than needs to be told, but just sort of uh, doing it for the for the fun of it, for the people who, who give a shit. I tell I you this all the time. You guys know what I mean. Yeah, but I tell you this all the time. Like you guys are the only like cool band from that time that was popular. Well, it's interesting you say that. <clears throat> I don't know how to, I don't mean to talk shit about it anyway. we 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 were supposed to do a sort of like a 90s package tour this november and it was with uh with a, a, a tour that was already made and it was the tour was it was tea party moist 
headstones and big wreck. And then it, because of the pandemic, it got moved and then big wreck couldn't do it anymore. And then they came to us and they said, will you be this fourth band? Now in our minds, like we've always thought these, they were never our, like that was never, those weren't our friends. Like we met them sometimes, but like, you know, our, our, our friends were, you know, back, back the then. The local we, rabbits. Yeah, the local rabbits and like the inbreds and the super friends and thrush hermit and whatever. Like we we're definitely way more goofball. I mean, I mean, I, I thought we were cooler and all that kind of stuff too. But, uh, but anyway, we agreed to do that tour. And even though part of me was just like, you know, are we, you know, are we too cool to do this kind of thing? But like <laughs> when we announce it on the inter internet and people are like, yeah, that sounds cool. I was like, shouldn't there be some kind of outrage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I think, I think it's cause you guys had like the big shiny tunes fame too, right? Like well, that's, that's what I mean. Like, like we were, we were referring to it as the big shiny tour, Yeah. but yeah. all those, all of those bands, they see the thing is like the bands that we like to think that we were associated with like whether it's like eric strip and hardship post and jail and you know all these bands they they never got the opportunities we got like we got so much luckier that you know we got on big shiny tunes like things sold like six hundred thousand records or something it and and you know you just get even just getting listed it's like yeah it's silver chair and chili peppers and sloan and mm -hmm. fighters it's like it just makes you sound like you're this enormous thing are you guys Whereas, on one know, too? Sorry, didn't we get off? Yeah, Danko, are you, are you on one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're on one. I can't yeah. remember. I, I, I don't 14? know which one. Yeah, I don't know. But it, yeah, we're on we're on one of them. If they kept it going, we would have been on one. But they just decided not to keep it going. That's the only reason. Uh, yeah, so we were on, I think we were on the first one and the third one. I think the second one was the one that, that was the one that sold like a million copies or something. But, but uh, anyway, we we benefited big time from that. Like, and, and, you know, at the time we, we were like, should we do this? Is this cool? Like, I don't think we should do this. You know, look at the art. That was the time. Me. Every, everything that we did would, would have like a meeting of, is it cool? <laughs> and will we be cool after we do it? Exactly. Well, I, I have, you know, obviously you still having those meetings to this day. We still are having those meetings and you know, uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah. Anyway, we're not, we're not, we're not having those. <laughs> but you guys, you two both, uh, like you get to do, you guys are about as cool as can be. And you're like playing in Like you guys are international. You, you guys have the, the careers that I covet, which is the, where, what I always wanted. Maybe this doesn't describe you, but I think of you in this terms, it's like having a worldwide cult phenomenon instead of just a big, a big band that can, draw in regina and saskatoon sorry big in canada rather and uh it's like we can probably draw more in regina and saskatoon than you guys but you yeah. guys get to go to frankfurt or whatever i would i would gladly trade that because then i would be able to tour with my weed and <laughs> and uh, you know i'd be able to tour just a lot because like the border crossings are always the thing that stressed me out so much and well i, I had a revelatory conversation with you damien one time where we were we saw each other and you were saying you were off to wherever Frankfurt literally. And I was on my way to Kingston, Ontario. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I'd love to go to Frankfurt for once instead of going back to AJ's hangar or whatever shithole we're playing. And you were like, I wish I could just go to Kingston and come back with the same amount of money. Like not yep. that, not to be a money grubbing talk or whatever, but just like, 
I have to go ac across the world. Like you just have to go two hours down the highway. Anyway, as a family guy, yeah, and and especially, and I also thought in in the pandemic too is like if they shut down the world, like you know, we'll be okay. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it would mean for you guys. You guys would both be kind of screwed. Yeah, no, I think uh, we definitely start focusing a lot more on you know we start we do a Canadian covers record. I think first. Um, then we'd okay. start playing the game, you know, we'd, we'd be like, who do, we, who do we need to be friends with at the Feldman agency? Uh, we need to make this work now. Um, no, but I think, I think you're right. Like it would, it would be very different. I did think we'd do a, I really did want to do a Canadian tour. Um, I still really want to do a cross Canada tour. We've only ever done it twice and we've never done the Maritimes at all. Right. So yeah, I really I feel like, so. yeah. Have you done it? Maritimes? uh chris has done it many no times. i know chris I has done it <laughs> yeah uh we've only played, we've only yeah we we did it in 2002 uh we played like i think three shows but we're chris uh, we just played with big wreck two weeks ago so yeah in hamilton so like you, if that scenario happens we won't be as successful as you guys but uh we'll be we will be a opening for you as i've now found out but we'll be opening for big wreck you know right i want I want to, uh, yeah, like, and I, I would love to open for Big Wreck because I would be like, did any of you guys like punk bands? And then when they said no, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll see you guys well, later. I'm going to smoke weed in the dressing room. I, I was looking forward to going on the Big Shiny tour because I thought it would be kind of a, hilarious to hang out with those guys. Yeah. And, 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 and I remember Sloan is such a closed loop. We, like, we don't tour with anybody. Like, I, I well, we played with you guys. We played with you guys. It was Headstones. I think Matthew Good played later. And then we were talking to you guys afterwards back at the rehearsal place, I think. Sorry, and where where was this? Downtown? This is some open air festival in Ontario somewhere. This is going back 20 years ago. Like it, at, at, at uh, Canada's Wonderland? No, no. This Matthew Good, Headstones, you guys, us. Nelly Furtado played, but she had yet to put out an album. That's where oh, I met wow. her. Yeah. And, oh, and then afterwards. Sorry, like in Ottawa, maybe? Oh, God. I don't know. Some Ontario. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know. Some city in Ontario. Let's get to the bottom of exactly where this was, because I think that's your point, right? <laughs> Is there an action Sarnia? figure tie-in? Was it Sarnia? <laughs> no, but you said, you said, and I think Matthew Ginn was headlining at the time. And you said back at the space, like when we saw you like a week later or something, you're like, yeah, you know what we do? We just go out and we play all the hits. Everybody just goes apeshit. And then we get off the stage and then they play. Too. <laughs> it's like, just blow them off the stage. You play like hit every song everybody knows. And then you like had this smirk on your face. Like, yeah, we just draw. <laughs> but I think I was probably going through, I think, I think I was probably in, in silent pain at the time, which, which was just like, how could, because because as like matthew good's ascendancy corresponded with us like reaching our ceiling or whatever like i was just like who is this guy like singing all this like melodramatic bullshit like what and 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 that was on the way up and we were on the way down like we like between the bridges was tanking i was just like what's going on like Anyway, in 99, I was definitely at the height of my frustration. Like I've, I've, I've recast my feelings to be one of, I'm, hey, I'm just happy to still be doing it. All of my talented friends are, have gone the wayside. You know, Matt Murphy is like the greatest musician, singer, songwriter, guitar player 
You know, he's working at CBC. I mean, he's not unhappy, but like to me, it's a good like, gig. I know, but I just mean to me, he's just like certainly more of a, a gifted musician than me. But like I was just, you know, I was lucky to be what I have. And I don't mean to downplay my work and all that kind of stuff. But uh, whatever. I just mean in 99, I was pissed. I was just like, this is falling apart. Like, you know, we, we sold like 80,000 records in Canada in 96 97 and then came kind of came down a little bit to 70 and 98 and then it, like down to 26,099 I was like I guess it's over but you know a million things happened in there and all that shit but anyway yeah, the industry still, changed too right yeah, Every, yeah, yeah everything died and like <clears throat> I think that also corresponded with you kind of like being recognized in America as the cool Canadian band too like it was definitely yeah. for the longest time you go to the States and, and it would be like, you know, oh, I know Brian Adams. And then, and they'd be like, oh, and I also like that band Sloan. And right. it was like, well, you meet Tom Sharpling and he's like Sloan, or you meet the guys from the Strokes and they like Sloan, or you meet the guys, you know, it's like Danko too. Like when, you know, I'm watching Danko's side stage in Australia and I'm standing beside like Duff McKagan, Chris Jericho, and like all these other rock dudes. Like it's, it's, it's like, you know, real recognizes real and like the people, you know, if you're doing something, you know where I was that night. I was in Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, you could, you got you could have gotten pizza, pizza. You could have like there's a lot of things you could have done that I would have loved it's, to have done after the show that I couldn't do. It's true. Hey, I'm I'm a I'm a happy guy. I'm a lucky guy. I I <laughs> I, uh, I I definitely have had that tour though, where you're out on the road with the band that you're like handing off your crown to or like the band that's like taking what you were doing but to like to that next level where you're like oh shit like we did this tour with this band the gallows and the first time we went to england they opened for us at this crazy show and they were had a lot of hype at that show but i thought like well we came out and we did our thing so but then the next time we came back we were opening for them and the venues were ginormous like you know, at that time, like not the biggest thing, obviously, but like 2000 cap, 3000 cap rooms. And still to this day, I've never experienced an excitement around that band like that we did on that tour, like even going out with like, you know, huge bands afterwards, like you don't feel that energy as like a band that's like, oh, my God, this is happening. And it really felt like, holy shit, this band took what we were doing about having a crazy live show and an aggressive in your face front person and just blew me out of the water and now they have taken this and they are going to become super famous with it yeah i don't know what our version of that is i don't like to think it was matthew good i don't but, mean like uh, well I, th I think my band's <laughs> I don't think, I'm, <laughs> I'm just being i'm just being a jerk because because in a way it was you know what i mean this is like but uh <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This guy is melodramatic. What the hell's going on around here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I mean, he's also into soccer too. So there's, that was probably it. We, I don't mean to talk, uh, speak ill of him. You started would, it, you know, Chris. I'll, I'm, yeah. I'm just picking it up. <laughs> yeah, look, I just figure if you start it, then I can just. Patrick, keep going. Patrick had a good line. Matthew Good, we were hanging out with him one time in whatever, 99. And, uh, and we're out we're out late at night and patrick's with us and patrick would be drinking patrick by the way has been sober for like almost two years like he's doing really well oh, that's awesome but uh but he's drinking a lot at the time and matthew good puts his card down it's like this is on me guys like he's big big man 
And then Patrick's like, oh, fuck, now I can't drink as much as I want to I have to fucking nurse this thing. So he's like nursing his beer. And uh, and then finally he's like, he tries to settle up the check and Patrick's like, finally, we can get out of here, go to a different bar so I can really start <laughs> pounding beers. And he's like, yeah, can I get the check? And also some hot water for my tea. Like, just like, I gotta have, wait around for you to fucking steep your tea and like, you're the, the built, like I can't get any more liquor. And the other story is, sorry, since that didn't kill. <laughs> Matthew Good was complaining because he said, I paid $50,000 tax this year, guys. Like he's complaining to us. And this is in 99. And Patrick said, oh man, that's a lot. You got to fire your accountant, man. That's 100% tax. <laughs> I remember, I remember, uh, who was your sound guy that used to do Sound of the Horseshoe? Super nice dude. I'm blanking on his name. Is that Brendan? Mark Crane? Maybe long, long blonde hair. Mark, here. Mark Crane was our like our monitors guy, but he worked at the Horseshoe for a long time. Maybe monitor guy then. Yeah, he. I remember him coming back from a tour that you guys did out west with them and telling stories where Matthew Good's like, you know, you can't have a bus on these small tours like this because it's like setting up a fucking autograph booth outside the show. Like people just won't leave you alone. And then like he also said like one night these stories have stuck with me so much hearing them backstage. Or one night he's like said uh you know it's great going out there and giving these people something to live for in their lives you know just like a memory <laughs> that they can carry with them for the rest of their lives oh like do you is there a version of that but it's me but i'm here and you can't say it no no every time <laughs> i told Dago, do you remember have we talked about the very first time that we met <laughs> not to me so please do where, where i sent you the notes in the cafe in toronto <laughs> through the waiter and so this is me yeah it was you yeah, right sorry i thought you were talking about meeting him no it's you and jay sitting in the front of that cafe that took over for cfmy on bloor street right or that was there for a hot minute <laughs> you know and you were sending me the notes what were the notes like they Spoon. were like yeah they were like hey you know like hey man how's it going like we're sitting in the back it's cool that you guys have moved to toronto uh like i hear you guys are in a punk because i was just getting into punk right and it's like that's super cool anyway uh what's up and then you didn't write back for a minute because you guys were obviously busy you're going through photo selects so then we were like you fucking rock stars you like you move here you treat like you know blah blah and we're like give them this note unless they pass you another note to give back to us right and, but the waiter still gave you that note and then you guys wrote a letter or signed a picture and you wrote suck me sloan <laughs> the picture <laughs> well that's why we didn't meet anybody you know, we were just we were too well, we were dicks we were being tor terrible to you so you but know. When, when was that in relation to that party you know what i'm talking about that party when we were three years four years was before it, was it tyler burke's house it was tyler burke was i think i don't think tyler burke was still living there that's one of the best nights ever man that was so that fun. was super fun it was like a garage yeah with the music set up and and I came out and started yelling out hardcore songs for you to do, and no one else knew them, but you knew all the songs. And yeah, then and Jason, was that, was that at Steve Perry's place? No, this was at this was in the basement uh, or backyard of Tyler's house. There was like a rehearsal setups back there. Is Tyler, Tyler, and Steve didn't they live together for a while? They were roommates. Maybe I think maybe that was when they lived at that loft just south of Queen Street where Tragedy played, and that kid lit his face on fire. Oh no, I don't. Well, that's a that's a wild story we'll get to that story next um but th that uh that show that night was so amazing man that was super fun and and jason from weaker thens was there and we i think we did some songs together that night i'm sure we did 
And you told me you were going to give me your whole record collection. You're like, I got some records back at my parents' house. I'm going to bring them back for you. The whole record collection. I that never that? happened. Yeah, that never happened, Chris. I could give you a bunch of records. I don't want I don't... you to give me any of your records. Now you got you got kids. You passed them to your kids. Yeah, they but don't you did care, say man. you did say to me. I'll give so. you. I'll give you a couple. <laughs> Give you my doubles. <laughs> I don't want your doubles. I feel terrible now guilting you into that. But that was a super fun night. I, I definitely, uh, yeah, that was the night that we like hung out. But then again, we met for the third time. Danko, the first time I met you was at Flashing Crash on Bloor Street. Oh, okay. That was different from what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, we met again for real later on, but that was the first time I actually met you. I was like super scared of you. You know, as I've told you this before, you had you cast a very intimidating presence in uh, in the early uh, press that you were putting out there. The sure. Bruce the Blue story I didn't realize was uh, was <laughs> me and Bruce concocted that at a heart. I did not realize that was concocted. I thought it was a shoot, so it, it got it was freaky. Um, but the first time we well, I met you really was at um, uh, Lowlands Festival in in Holland. Holland Lowlands and was, Festival. And I was actually scared of you because of I'd, I'd heard that you, you know, whatever the stage antics were. And, um, but I, ha- I remember I told you, I still have your records. I still, I still have your records. Um, <laughs> I was pretty that scared was- that night too. I was in North Bay. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the first night that you met um, the dudes from uh, Dan with Webster. <laughs> you talking Who, to me? me? You? No, no, I'm talking to Chris. That got signed. Is that where they're from? I don't know. I don't know. They're, I don't know where they're, they're from. They got signed by Gene Simmons, I believe. <laughs> it all comes back to Kiss. <laughs> um, well, you, no. Universal Canada gave him a record label, right? That's what. It yeah, was. I think Gene so. Simmons, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. You know, <laughs> the guy that didn't know who Chrome were, didn't know that Chrome were a band, and insisted that his son rename his band to Chrome was given in a record label in the <laughs> modern day. <laughs> that was my favorite episode of the Gene Simmons reality TV show. And his son's like, I think there already is a band called Chrome Dad. He's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I thought for sure that like with, so this is Nick Simmons you're talking about? I, I yeah. guess that's his kid, right? Yeah. He's yeah, a very he, handsome so, kid. That's right. And he's tall. And he, I just figured that they would bequeath these characters to them. Is that not what's going to happen? No, because because Paul's got like a like a hotshot guitar player son and yeah and, yeah and he's great and uh, you know Nick Simmons is a tall good looking guy like put him on bass I I I think that that's what they're gonna do like they'll no. soak up all this money and then they'll say you know it's not it's no longer Gene Simmons it's like Demon Star Child you know what I mean like just replace everybody. Why not? Well, the, I think they're going to do that, but I don't think they're going to do it with their kids. Nick's, okay. Apparently, Nick was working with Marvel or DC, and he came up with this story for this comic series, and then it, he got uh, tagged with uh, plagiarism. Oh. So, yeah. So, that's what I heard. I uh... <laughs> did, his, did his father sue him? Was it his father's idea? <laughs> <laughs> it's very litigious. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter, son. I've heard this story already before. Doesn't matter. I I don't I don't uh yeah, I, I don't think also as a kid of a famous person, you'd want that. Like, would your kids have any interest in taking yeah. over your bands? Like, you know, mine. No. Well, how how old are your old your respective oldest? How old is your he's twelve. Twelve, yeah. Well, my oldest kid is fourteen. But maybe they should be the band. Make that band. What like Yeah, yeah. 
Holden has no interest in it unless it's a band in Minecraft. I don't think he's very interested in starting a band right now. Yeah, Francisco, like we have a little electronic drum set set up in his room, but he doesn't use it. But he's really good. He has used it and he can do anything. Yeah, I imagine it's like it's like, I don't know. I, I had no interest in kind of going in the same field my parents were in just because it just, you know, doesn't appeal to me. And I think I've effectively scared my kids off from any hope of wanting to be in the music business whatsoever. Like, I think they've seen all the downsides of it very firsthand. So right. um, I think they would, I'd be interested to hear, to talk to them in a couple of years and seeing what their thoughts would be on wanting to pursue that. But, you know, it's funny, my, my kid does like music and stuff like that. And he's, musical and plays instruments and i always downplay i always when i'm telling my own story i always steep it with how lucky i was and i, I always want them to know that i it's not lost on me how hard mm -hmm. it is to do and how lucky i am but i think that that has backfired on me where my kid thinks well if you were so lucky how what how would i ever i could be really good and it would never happen for me it's like so i, I basically like overdone it with the sort of luck the luck talk yeah no it's definitely it's hard and i think and i really think now it's it's a lot easier for kids of people that are in bands than it was at another time like i think you were judged a lot more harshly for being the child of someone that had done something above Bob Dylan. yeah like exactly <laughs> like in a field like where it was like kind of like a burden right. where now we live in such a celebrity driven culture that everyone that's done something successful in a field almost becomes like some sort of royal family maybe not in right. punk but I think in all other forms of culture, like people love the idea of like, oh, this person's like a famous actor's kid. And they're right. they're they're like they're amazing because they're their kid or this musician's kid. So yeah, maybe Kiss Two would be successful with all their children. I, I just figured that that's the way it would go, but you're probably right. They probably don't want to do that. I, I want to get that gig. I want to try for that too. I'm gonna get the Phantom gig, I'm gonna get that gig, you know. I was in Whistler one time and I saw Nick Simmons in the restaurant. And I looked on airdrop or whatever, just to see if I could find his phone to see if I, could, I wasn't sure it was him. <laughs> you could send him demos? It, well, it said Nick Simmons. And I just wanted to say like, basically I, I worship, like, I'm, I'm sure he just like is so over it, but. Think about so, that, Chris. Think about like, you're like, you know, you're, you're relaxing. You're like on a vacation. All of a sudden your phone blew a stranger blew. is like, Hey dude, I'm a huge fan of your dad's I band. Know, <laughs> It's so lame and uh, you know whatever that night when you were in whistler i was playing in milan <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got it we should do a tour all three of us one time what is what, what's the currency in italy again euro euro <laughs> right oh my I, was, God. I thought I, I thought i'd have a funnier joke if i had like the lira or whatever it was anyway, we should do we should do a tour together and just call it top that asshole. And every night we just, <laughs> just go out there and try and make the next person have to <laughs> make the set super impossible. <laughs> we've taken, we've taken some bands on tour where I'm like, Oh man, I feel so bad. Like where you just know you're setting up this acoustic band for like a rough go every single night where they're going out there for people <laughs> that are not there for that, you know, and every, but also that being said, You've taken, you've taken acoustic bands on tour with you? We took Kurt Vile on one of his first uh, tours. And, really? uh, and my God, he, you know. He, He's it, done all right. Done all right in the end. You know, I think everyone that opens for us 
kind of winds up becoming way bigger than us in the end. Slingshots into the stratosphere. <laughs> you want to surplant? You want to surpass fucked up? Open for them. Right. Yeah, that's that. We're like the London of rock, the new London. Yeah. You know, a band London, right. like everyone's right. been, been right. in their band. I mean, Billy Talent, Default, they've all opened for us. Default. I mean, there you go. <laughs> um, the Default? The default. <laughs> Wait, are you uh, talking about the British punk band that put out a bunch of seven inches no, in the? Oh no. shit! Okay. Oh lost. god! No, no, no. no. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I, I, I had a few other ones, uh, but I cannot think of them right off the top of my head right now. But the first one that comes to mind is Billy Talent. But yeah, I, I know there's more that that are like that are like you know way, the first way the back. first band the first band that opened for us in los angeles was weezer whoa but i had so we were and they were they were signed to geffen by the same guy that signed us so we were signed by a kind of mailroom underling guy who was in was kind of in the like geffen was so cool but like but the we came in through the sort of wrong stream like uh, Gary Gersh had all the, the cool bands, Sonic Youth that begat like, you know, Teenage Fan Club and and uh, Nirvana and Hole and on down, Urge Overkill or whoever. But we came in through the Tom Zutat school. Tom Zutat signed Motley Crude A&M, but at Geffen he signed uh, Guns N' Roses and like Tesla, Junkhouse, I think, or Junkyard rather. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> going right out right out of my head is that from your hamilton uh gig uh that's right yeah dude but he that dude was in the tom wilson in the florida razor blades or for razors and that's like a punk band too so it all comes back to punk but anyway go on chris just that uh tom Z- uh tom Zutat, um todd sullivan was the name of the guy who signed sloan we were his first signing he was just like a mailroom guy Sloan did okay for our first record and our second record was kind of going into the toilet as he assigned his second signing was Weezer and they were basically about to like I was at Todd Sullivan's house begging for uh you know two thousand dollars to make a video for a song called People of the Sky in 1994 and he's like oh yeah yeah sure go ahead I want you to see this video called Buddy Buddy for a song called Buddy Holly and I was, and I just basically wept I was just like we're done like this guy these guys are so <laughs> this is so huge we are we are a piece of shit but um sorry but but the first time we played down there i, I was like uh, being a jackass like we were like <laughs> like just being taken around like jackasses like we were in san francisco the day before like river rafting and i got completely sunstroked i was like completely beat red and barfing with sunstroke <laughs> and just before we went on like i was so i, I shouldn't have gone on and I could hear Weezer in the next room, all these harmonies, they were fantastic. And then we had to go on and I was like, I, I, mean, I puked on the ground on the way to the stage. Like, I, and then it's like falling over. Like, I must've looked like I was high for sure. Yeah. But uh, we really blew it. We blew it at our, our we, we had been signed, but we were, this was our playing for the people at Geffen had come down and they, were, they also saw Weezer who were excellent, but I didn't even see them because I was unconscious basically. Anyway, we we blew it. They we they factor into our story. We do not factor into their story. They don't know who we are, who I am, but I think of them all the time as their ascendancy, kind of with our coming falling into the garbage. Do you ever uh, you know do, do you know Joe Sib at all? The guy from Wax. Sorry? Do you know that guy yeah. Joe Sib who played in Wax? No. He played in Wax. He played in um um 
uh, 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 22 Jacks afterwards. He started Side One Dummy Records. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah I was he played, say, yeah. yeah. He played in a band called Frontline back in the day that was kind of like the Factions Junior Little Brother Band for a while. Anyway, but he uh, he was on the show. He was and- in Wax fact like fact faction and what was the other one Dax. he was in like a faction little brother band i mean and then 22 all, jacks they're all acts jacks wax and facts anyway sorry well the ahead. faction <laughs> faction he wasn't in he was in frontline i'm okay, just sorry, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> give me too much information i'm sorry but anyway his episode he talks about how um like weezer would come to uh their shows all the time like rivers would come to their show all the time when he was still a metalhead and like you know, like was like that's when he that's how he got into this kind of music was going to their shows, and he also they were the guys that first worked with Spike Jones, and Spike Jones did all their first videos and like oh, took really? their photos for their seven inches, and they like kind of got the idea of like oh let's work with Spike Jones on this thing, and it fucked him up. He had to go to therapy over it, and until he could hear he couldn't listen to the Blue Album for years and years, uh, until he went to therapy because it just was like fuck that could have been our shot type thing. Yeah. He talks about it on the show. It's like it fucked him up. Well, I have a similar thing. I'm I'm not as bitter about it, but like our joke in our band is like Weezer's Blue album is is that's what our second record should have been, and then Twice Removed should have been our third record. We kind of we 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 moved too drastically, and uh, basically uh, suffered the consequences. Had a huge commercial flop. Well, much, but uh, much I, beloved commercial flop. Yeah, exactly. Your record's fucking amazing, you know. And I like I love the Blue album, but I prefer your Me record. Too. You I know. love the, the I I have the, I think the blue album's great. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the their high watermark for me too. Yeah, and and uh, I find it interesting that they are you talking about one chord to another. Sorry, but that's a great blue album too. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but uh, I know we're talking about the Weezer album. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think uh, I think I think Weezer to me is fascinating because they're a band that I can't ever find a direct punk connection to. Like they don't really have. You know they don't come from that world in the same way like kind of like pixies kind of weirdly too didn't didn't is is it true do i remember correctly that thurston moore wrote a big piece about why they were terrible or something I'm, I'm i remember i remember reading an interview with dave smalley talking about why they were terrible and okay and exclaim but i'm sure i don't know maybe thurston did too i gotta read that if that's out there why would why would dave smalley not like them Dave Smalley, they interviewed him in Exclaim, and it was for the second Down by Law record, or maybe the third Down by Law record, and uh, he was talking about, I think they were asking about alternative music, being like, you know, being someone who came from like punk or something, and he's like, I like Nirvana, I like that stuff, I think you can hear, you know, the energy in that punk stuff, and then he just went off on why Weezer sucks. (laughs) Like mm-hmm. just super hard on Weezer. And I remember reading as a kid being like, oh, there's a difference? Like, and that was when I first knew that there was like <laughs> there's like this weird divide in the in the music world. Uh, but also, I, never mind the, another blue album. Uh, exactly. There's a lot of a lot of do a blue record. Like if you want to do another classic record, blue motif. Well, or and then our next record was called Navy Blues. In fact, Patrick was so mad that we were calling our record after our blue colored record, Navy Blues, that he only would refer to it as our current record. Like he would never call it by name. He was so mad. <laughs> Sorry. For, and for those who don't know, yeah, so we had a record called One Quarter to Another, which was blue. And then the next record was black and red and was called Navy Blues. And Patrick from my band was furious. Anyway, just some context there. Uh <laughs> It's funny though, like how 
you know, those, those moments where you look back on, you're like, fuck, maybe we should have done that. Or maybe I should have handled that a little bit differently. And my whole life could be different now. Like it could be bad, different in a whole terrible other way, you know? So, yeah. so who knows? But I look back on our record after our most successful record and me wanting to make like a super introspective record about my, my mental health and, and inner turmoil with finding success in music and no one wanted that no <laughs> yeah uh, everyone's like oh yeah you, you follow your rock opera with this right. yeah right. good idea dude you know but i'm like you know dying in in the streets for this thing with the rest of the band as they're like no no we should make this record instead i'm like no it's got to be like fucking this i'm gonna die on this hill i'm definitely um i i can't look at i just the fact that I'm still here and making, you know, Sloan is recording now. It's be our 13th full length record. And, you know, I, every, every commercial misstep and all those things, like it, none of it bothers me just because we're still here. Like, I don't, I, I, I think that you guys probably feel the same way. You don't grieve like things that you could have done or ways that you could have made it bigger. Like just the, the fact that we're all still here. Like, I think we are all lucky, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that Matthew Good's most successful Canadian album is also Blue. So, holy jeez, you are, and also that song "I'm Blue." Da da dee da 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 dee da 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 dee da 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 is a huge hit. Huge, massive, massively popular record. And sorry, you're saying no, and I I totally lost my train of thought there. No, I no, I had this dude on this podcast. No, I was I was getting maudlin about how we're all lucky to be here and then you had to make that joke. <laughs> it was an observation. <laughs> no, but I I had this dude on from Ill-timed. the band. timed I had the had this dude from the the band The Dogs on, not to be confused with that dog from the DGC Rarities Comp, your uh, comp mates. But they're, uh, they're more than just that. They had records. They're a great band, unbelievable band, absolutely, and I I love them. I actually the last record Steve I McDonald's, bought. Steve McDonald's, lady. Yeah, and the, the last record I bought before the pandemic started was their first double seven inch. I uh, that was well, the last time I was in a record store pre pandemic. I've been in a couple record stores since now, but for the longest time I was like, man, this might be the last record I ever bought in a store. Do you go uh, to record shows and stuff like that? Not as much anymore, but Danko goes. Did you go to the one the other day that Jay went to? I couldn't because we, uh, I was at the, um, oh no, I had a family thing on the Sunday, but uh, I was go, I was all set to go all, there's some of my records that were there. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Damien, I cut you off unnecessarily. No, no, I was, and uh, 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 yeah, I was, uh, oh yeah, so this dude from the, the Dogs was on the show and they like every step of their career they were too early or just too late for every opportunity so they're a detroit rock band they opened for the mc5 but it's kind of just at the tail end of that so they actually opened for bob seeger on the first bob seeger solo tour and got kicked off for starting a riot on stage so then they have to go to new york so they go to new york and they play with kiss at the show the kiss gets signed at but they're in New York and it's pre-punk. But the Ramones guys, when they're still kind of like, you know, in some glam bands and some other bands are coming to their shows and seeing the way they're dressed and being like, oh, we could kind of do this thing too. And they're playing with the dictators, you know. But then they leave New York because it's dead and they go to L.A. And it, they get to L.A. and it's pre-L.A. punk happening. And the first show they play in L.A. Uh, is Van Halen and Quiet Riot. They're they're playing with Van Halen and Quiet Riot as they're just starting, right? Like, well, just kind of like getting going. Um, and then the ACDC 
Uh, they opened for ACDC on ACDC's very first show in America, which was in L.A. type thing. But they're like L.A.'s kind of they're too punk for that scene. And then punk kind of happens and they're too rock for the punk scene. So they go to over to England and they're playing with all the new wave of British no heavy metal bands. Yeah, dude. And it's just like crazy at every step. They're just like at the tail end of something and just not quite the right fit for everything. So I just look at the career I have and I'm like. I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. Like I could be these guys where, you know, you're always perpetually and you're fucking amazing. Their band is unbelievable, but they just never clicked to the point they ever got anything out other than two seven inches. It sounds like uh, it's basically Forrest Gump. It's like, is Tom yeah. Hanks going to play that guy in a, in their biopic? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 that's definitely an obsession on doing the show is people that just keep popping up in different scenes and like kind of disparate scenes where they're doing, completely weird unique things i'm like fascinated by that but they are the band to end all bands like that and they're still playing today you know they played the bovine three years ago right wow to like 25 people i was away on tour but someone else i know was there and said like yeah it was you know not packed by any stretch of the imagination but they were still incredible they were managed by john sinclair too for a brief moment you know Hmm. from the mc5 stuff but anyway I digress. Were they doing like uh, beats now, like EDM? Like they're just right on, like <laughs> no, they're still doing the exact same sound. Oh. <laughs> I don't think they're... their faces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing. It's completely contemporary now. It's got still like... going, still going. Yeah, it's still wonder... one beat away. From... <laughs> I wonder what band's going to be the Beastie Boys of this era. You know, like a band that's just like going in the punk hardcore world that then just pulls like a complete left turn and jumps on to another genre and ends up mm. becoming like very successful in that. Cause you can kind of see it happening. I guess there's like a whole wave of musicians now that are hugely successful kind of like doing, you know, this, this new type of music, whatever multi-genre music that it is, you know, man, it's, we should all do it. You first, Who, who's gonna get the first face tattoo? Face tattoo. Uh, well, I, I have another, uh, I could, I don't have a good joke for that, but I have a, a little bummer thing where I can say that, like, I got Bell's palsy for my face. I could, should tattoo my face back up to prop, so it looks right again. So Bell's palsy for anyone who doesn't know is like all the muscles in my, in my one side of my face, my left side, like they were, went, basically went, were paralyzed. So I had this total like drooping candle face. It's still a little bit when I laugh and stuff, especially I'm a little bit out of the side of my mouth, but it's mostly, so this was in January. It takes months to kind of get better. And it's still, I still experience pain and stuff like, like an aching in my face. But, uh, but, but I'm, as it was happening, like I was spitting in the sink and I was realizing I can't spit. And I was like, oh fuck, my face is a melted candle. But I was waiting for my hand to go. I was waiting. I thought I was going to be having a stroke. That like my hand was going to get paralyzed and it did not. So I'm, I'm lucky. And I don't mean to make light of Bell's palsy because some people, I took a steroid right away. So like, like I was able to sort of heal for the most part, mm-hmm. but I, but I, uh, so, so my face was really screwy in January, February, March. And my wife, uh, this is all, uh, this is another long, boring story. Like it's I'm going, boring off, at all, man. going no. off the face tattoo. Uh, I, she was like, oh, you should, you should post about this on, on, uh, on Instagram. And I was like, well, what if my face gets better in two, three months? And I'm going to wish that there wasn't this disgusting picture of me with melted candle face on the internet. And she's like, I just do it. It doesn't matter. Like if it gets better, like that'll be anyway. So I, I ended up posting this picture 
and then it got picked up by the Canadian press. So it was like, so it's like now it's the most known picture of me that there is. It's this picture of me with my my face dead on one side, and uh, and so I'm buddies with Stephen Page, who was in the who had been in the Bare Naked Ladies, and I was complaining on this text thread with him. I was like, oh, this is the most known picture of me, and then he texted me back. And it's like he sent me his his uh, mugshot picture, and he's like, this is the most known picture of me. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> and then my joke on that was like. But you, you never look better than your mugshot. That's the best picture of you that there is. <laughs> anyway. He seems, uh, I don't really know him. He just, just a little bit on social media, but he seems super, super cool and super nice. Yeah, he's, just, he's hilarious. He's great. He's super, he's just like a music nerd fan and just loves pop music and, uh, and is funny as hell on a text thread. Like he's good for jokes. Got the demo. Oh, you got the yellow tape? Got the yellow tape. Got the yellow tape. I met them. They came to Halifax in 1990, and I met them, and I was playing. They played at a thing like called the Coca Festival or something. It's basically like you play in front of like buyers who buy shows at colleges and stuff, and they were in town for that and kind of blew everyone's mind. Like they were actually like a professional act. Like everybody from Halifax was pretty amateur. But I was playing bass in a in a kind of roots rock band. Uh, I think I don't know if no, I wasn't yet in Sloan. I was probably in I was in a couple bands, but I was in this roots rock band that that played shows and stuff. And I was in that band at the time when I met them, a band called Blackpool. But I've so I've known them since 1990, kind of thing. And uh, you know they've always, they've definitely taken lots of heat over the years for being pretty whack. And I don't completely disagree, but. Uh, <laughs> But well, the they, first definitely time, had a, they definitely had a great act and they were funny and smart as hell. They could first write time, amazing songs too. Yeah. First time I met Stephen Page was with Chris Murphy in Halifax. And uh, we we had just played um, Halifax. Is this true? Pop Do I know this? Okay. Well, you were there. Halifax <laughs> Pop Explosion. You might not remember, but you were there. And, and uh, Stephen Page came up to me and he's like, wow, great set, great set. And you were right there. And nobody was talking to you it was just me and steve steven and you kept going oh, i don't know this guy i don't know uh, this guy i don't know this he kept doing that and i wasn't and all i was trying to do was say thank you for liking the show steven and you were just trying you're just like uh this guy i was I trying to be guy. trying to be cooler than him yeah you're like but you were busting on his band in right. front of me while the guy's complimenting our show. And I mean, I'm going to accept the compliment. I can't just laugh at the jokes you're doing because he's complimenting our band. And you've done that to me uh, more than three or four times when there's another person. And there's oh. the three of us. And you're not even, the last time it happened was at... Um, Whenever the last time was, it will be the last time. I'll never do it again. This sounds terrible. The person you're describing is awful. <laughs> you say that here, but you're going to do it. Okay. It was at the Danforth Music Hall. I won't even tell you who the person was. Okay. But he's a very, very well-known person in Canada. He fronts a big band. And he was asking me about this one person going like, is he a cool dude? Is he a cool dude? Like, and you were not part of the conversation. You were just leaning up against the wall going, yeah, 
Raimi's a cool dude, you know, right? Yeah, you think he is. <laughs> just totally blowing my cover. I was just trying to be nice and just go, yeah, he's a total cool dude. And he goes, yeah, right. You think he's a cool dude. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's it hilarious. It was hilarious. But when that happened, the last time that happened, I can't help but remember the first time it happened with Stephen Page. I love Stephen. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> awesome. But Stephen does that to you too. Like I, I saw when the Bare Naked Ladies uh, hosted the Junos and then you were on TV and then he did it back to you going like, we're not too, we're not as cool as these guys or something. Right. Said something like that. So you guys have this, this thing going. Stephen, the Bare Naked Ladies did a great thing on the Junos. They sang a song. They hosted the the Junos in Newfoundland, and they were part. They they did a whole rap. Um, <laughs> turned out a punk. Turned out a punk talking about the Bare Naked Ladies and rap. But Dude, um, Bare Naked Ladies were going to do a record on on Simon Harvey's Discussion Records. They were going to do a split with a death metal band from Montreal. And Simon told me this story for years, and I was like. Yeah, whatever. Like, not true. But he went to high school with the the red-haired bass player. And then I met the red-haired bass player when he was backing up Sarah Harmer when I was doing Q. And I was like, I got introduced to him. I'm like, hey, weird question. Did you go to high school with a guy named Simon Harvey? And were you going to do a Bare Naked Ladies record on his label? And he's like, yeah, that that sounds very familiar, that thing. So, so yeah. But anyway, go back. Go back. Go well, on. My my sidebar joke about the Bare Naked Ladies when, I, when I'm talking about them, it's like, yeah. And then they made a chill, the children's record, their heaviest record. <laughs> no but but when they were when they were on when they were on the junos they were just doing this diss rap at the beginning and they were and the funniest line i just died laughing they said we're gonna rate we're gonna rate the bands from a to d and the first band gets a great big c <laughs> So do I need to explain? I don't know where your listeners are. Great Big C is a, uh, a band uh, of kind of like traditional Newfoundland music uh, called Great Big C. Anyway, I, I, I guess I should save these jokes for off air. No, these are- <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'm not booking a lot of Canadian talent on this podcast in the near future after this episode. <laughs> That's Okay. Okay. <laughs> Joey Shithead was just on recently, so I've got my, you know, between you guys and Joey Shithead, I've got all my Canadian favorite bands on right now. So Stephen's been on both of my podcasts. So I've never had him on. I want to have him on really badly. Like he would be, I'm I'm always interested. It's like he was he a punk because I could see them being into like Violent Femmes, and I consider Violent Femmes a punk band. I think he was more into. Do you know who that guy is? Like named Stephen Duffy. I think he was briefly in. Uh, Duran Duran, but uh, I think he's into like orange juice, like that that kind of stuff. Yeah, like I love that stuff, and that's punk yeah. to me, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like all that. Um, uh, what's Tears that for label? Fears and stuff like that. But what's that label that Orange Juice was on? I'm blanking. Postcard Records. All that Postcard Records stuff. Like I, I find, I don't know. That's what I find fascinating about like punk is it just went so many weird places, and like all these people were kind of coming from very similar points at at one time you know like the fact that all of us were in a minor threat you know and and none of our bands sound the same you know and none of our mm-hmm. bands sound like minor threat um you know is it's just it shows that like this stuff is interesting to me you know and like 
how small some of the stuff is. Like, you know, you see, you seeing uh capital alienation in, um, in Montreal, you know, and that band being such a huge band for me. And the fact that I get to nerd out with you about it, Chris, is just like, you know, kind of cool. Like it's mind blowing to me. Like only like maybe like 500 people in the world knew who that band were um, at the time that we were, I was talking to you about them. And like, you're like, Oh yeah, I saw them. <laughs> right. It's looking crazy. Yeah. So what to reiterate or to tell Danko just to like my little story is that I went to Montreal in 86, I think it must've been that trip. So I'm from Halifax, as you know, and, or as you know, but not as everyone knows, but, but uh, so to see shows, I would either drive to Boston or, or uh, Montreal. So I went, went to see the Descendants in Dagnasty and that same trip I saw No Means No in 86, which blew my mind, like blew my mind. And, uh, but I also saw uh, Capitalist Alienation, this band, like I didn't know anything about them. I just went. I was just I was just there for the week, so I'd try to go to shows every night. But they were terrifying. They're French, right? Uh, I believe they were. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're singing in French. And it's a I think some's girl. in English, some's in French too. Yeah, Perhaps, I think they had two French. vocalists, even maybe. I, I'm picturing a tiny girl singing. Yeah, there definitely right? is one. And uh, and we were, and everybody's like super punk, like like Liberty Spikes and studs and le- like it was just super punk. And we were just like, like my friend was wearing deck shoes and we were just like meeting, like going to the bathroom was like, should we get out of here? Like we were terrified. We just thought like this shit was going to go down. We we're going to get killed at this show. Cause it just, it was in a big city and it was like these, you know, punk, you know, there was like some instances actually it hadn't even happened yet, but there, but later, like there were to be some kids come from Montreal, you know, the story being that there were these skinheads who came from Montreal to live in Halifax for a while. Cause like, you know, they had, they were on the on the run from the law and they caused all kinds of trouble like smashing windows at shows and stuff and we're just we're just terrified of these big city punks and and like we're just like just normal dressed kids in this real sort of like seemingly really dogmatic punk place anyway but uh yeah i think the band i think the band they opened for was it possible they're called bad results is that another band uh there might be a band called bad results i don't think there's any records by a bad results but okay. like it sounds vaguely familiar like the, the only thing i know about them is that 12 inch the the lp that came out and just sort of stories i've picked up from you and just other stories i'd heard but like we all know montreal's been like always the punkest of cities you know like the bands and even the metal stuff that was coming out of there has always been like kind of gnarlier and punkier than like other stuff even voivod like is like a band that was like that big they're they're all they're kind of like got like a punk feel to like the way they kind of carry themselves and like the vibe of the band in a way that like i don't know i'm trying to think who the equivalent a band would be in toronto uh what's the band from that documentary blanking on it you would know lips is band anvil anvil oh right yeah you know um, I don't know if he meets your criteria or whatever, but do you know who I mean by Mark Gadet, who played in uh, Eric Strip and Elevator to Hell? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, there's a, there's a somebody wrote a thesis one time that he essentially invented punk. Uh, did you, did we ever talk about this? No, but I'm going to get the Purple Nights records out. Well, the Purple Nights stuff was recorded in like '74 or something. Yeah, yeah, '74. Yeah, it's like, like it, it's it's, it's like pre Ramones. It's pre Ramones. <laughs> I think there's like 74 is kind of where there's this like weird energy 
explosion that takes off all over the world where you have these like bands kind of popping up, starting to do stuff. Cause 74 is also when you have teenage head start. Um, you know, you also have like the, uh, rock from the tomb stuff. You have got stuff starting in New York, obviously that band, the, the dogs kind of moving around at that time too. 74. You've also got stuff kicking off in LA and the, and the, the nerves would come out of and all this sort of scene Zolar X and bands like that. And then Australia got the saints and radio Birdman starting 74, 75 is such like an amazing period where just like all these kids simultaneously almost like wake up and are like, we got to take rock and roll back to, to what it was and strip it down and make it like street music again in some way. I, I I'm reminded of Mark Goodette because, um, because his favorite band is Voivod. And his favorite drummer is uh, Ian Pace from Deep Purple. Like that's kind of like what he was into. But 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 yeah, he made this like record. It's like a two-piece Purple Night. They recorded. I mean, they didn't make a record then, but they made. It's, their tape is from then. It's from '74, mm-hmm. and it's and it's Moncton. Like we always, I remember always thinking like, I was always kind of intimidated to go to like to New York. I was like, what's here? Like what? Wh- who am I going to impress in New York? These guys have seen everything. You know, let's go to Moncton where they're wearing pots and pans on their heads and they're just like, they're just inventing crazy, they're just crazy kids. Like, that's where I want to go. I want to meet those kids. I don't care about New York, but uh, whatever. Well, like the Maritimes kind of beats everyone to the punch on a lot of stuff, you know, like in terms of punk music, like the, uh, the Slime LP uh, is one of the first, it is the first DIY Canadian LP to kind of come out. And, you know, obviously it's not all punk, but there's definitely punk songs on that record. And even like Schizoid, you know, Schizoid is is the best New York hardcore band, not out of New York. You know, I think I love their record so much. And like, they kind of were like doing something different than anyone else was doing at the time. I don't know if I talked to you last time about the fact that my buddy, Pat Oantia, he kind of turned me on to punk in grade seven. Or he played like, he brought, he played Bodies by the Sex Pistols at the grade seven Christmas party, like, like just after John Lennon was shot, I remember the same, same month, like I heard the Sex Pistols and John Lennon was shot. But, um, uh, but he went on, he moved to Montreal and he was in, he joined that band called Scum. Do you remember that band, yeah. Scum? S-C-U-M? Yeah. I don't think he was the original guy, but I think he was like the replacement singer. And so I don't know if he's on records or not, but, uh, but he was a, like a childhood friend of mine. And he ended up living in Japan and like teaching, teaching yoga and stuff like that. It's funny that scum record actually got uh, licensed to England. So that's actually one of the few Canadian records that's available overseas from that time period. Hmm. You know, the youth, youth stuff you could kind of get on import, but, but they actually had like an, a proper UK pressing, I think on core records that was doing like a lot of that chaos UK stuff and, and a lot of sort of the proto napalm death earache kind of scene stuff. So it's interesting that that stuff found an audience there. Like, I think it's more well-known in parts of Europe sometimes in punk circles than it is in mm-hmm. parts of Canada outside of Montreal. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I love that record. That's the scum record. I don't know. I don't know if he's on it, but yeah, I don't yeah. know either. Look that up. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I've had a, a blast doing this and I don't want to keep you guys all night, but uh, you know, anytime you guys want to come back and, and chat more, we can always, uh, well, let's go through and talk about uh, what the ID points would be. It'd be like the Paul Stanley bit. There's the Matthew Good bit. <laughs> divide, divide it up into tracks. Uh, I don't. I don't think we need to divide up into tracks. We just put it out as one 
deform awesomeness. This has been like, you know, when you think something's going to be good in your mind and then you do it and you're like, yeah, it was, it was just like I thought it was going to be, as opposed to a lot of times when you do things and it's not that way. This is definitely the latter. Well, I would say of that thought that I think it was good too. I don't know if it's worth like a lot of hype, but I think we could do it every week for a year and it would still be good. Oh, I, I think we could do it amazing. <laughs> I would, anytime you got, we, we could do it as a once a month thing because this is, uh, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. We didn't get to. You guys, do, you, do you know who Tony Randall is? He played uh, Felix on The Odd Couple. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Can I just talk about him for a while? No, I'm just kidding. But he would just be, he was like the, he was like a go-to guest. Like if the guest canceled, if Tony Randall was on, it meant that somebody had canceled. Canceled. And they're just like, so that's, I'll, I'll be your Tony Randall or Danko and I'll be on anytime. I'm actually, I'm actually supposed to be Tony Randall in a remake of the odd couple and it's supposed to be me and uh blaine cartwright from national pussy as oscar <laughs> wow i thought you were going to say actually i'm actually going to be overseas touring you can do it while you sit on your ass in ontario <laughs> <laughs> uh i got to play i i've played now uh three shows um so i feel like uh you know like um i've gotten a get my feet a little wet again and it feels very different and weird, but also very comforting at the same time. Like, and I know we're not at a place where it's normal yet by any stretch, but it, it definitely, you know, I have a new appreciation for going out there and getting to play live and touring again. I'm looking forward to touring anywhere, you know, yeah, Ontario, Europe, wherever it is, I'm looking forward to kind of like getting out there and, and experience it all with like new fresh eyes because my God, I was ungrateful at different times. <laughs> uh, are you guys touring anything coming up? All my touring went in the garbage. All my, uh, my big shiny tour was gone. I think, uh, I think we have a couple of irons in the fire and I've also, I've also done this in the past year. I've done these like solo shows from my house. Yeah. Like I've done a bit of that. Like, I've never been interested in seeing that or doing that, but like I found myself, well, I guess I'm going to do this and it's been fun. So it's been interesting for me. Like it's, um, you know, I'm a fan of bands and I never want to see people doing acoustic confessional. Like I don't care, but uh, I'm hopefully I can be somewhat entertaining, but it's, it's been fun. I've always felt that you should do more like you know danko and i have like a regular podcast you've done podcast stuff but i've always felt that you should do more of that kind of stuff sloan have a podcast yeah sloan have a podcast but i mean like the chris murphy show i always pitched a chris murphy show when i was that much music i was always like yeah chris murphy talk show was, i think there was a time when uh did, did, I, did i ever say or complain about the time that i was santa on much music that i did basically an, an hour of, of freestyling with no <laughs> no idea what to say for like an hour like that's how loose it was on much music it's like yeah, yeah it was just, just talk for an hour as santa and i did it i did all this prep i shot all this stuff like like this all this background stories like yeah i was a comedian like all this like true hollywood story and then i was on for an hour it was alive at much an hour with me and bradford howe if that tells you what year it was and uh, like i i was like who is what how should i answer these questions so like just wing it as Santa, completely dressed, so you couldn't tell it was me. I didn't get paid. It's like, what? Am, why did I do that? Like, I like, promo, dude. It was a promo. Didn't even know it was me. <laughs> Nobody knew it was me. 
I I, um, I had a beard on. Like my eyes were like here. <laughs> it was just so stupid. Anyway, because Christine, because Christine Lushua would just you and her had like this psychological torture game going on for years with each other. Oh, I, I went to a party. I went to I'd go to a Christmas party every year with her, and she put that on DVD. She was playing that Santa live at much at the, during the party, and everybody was just <laughs> just making fun of me. She was the fun. person that brought me in uh, Danko to much music, and. Uh, she she would always be like coming up with like the torture gift to torture Chris with for this Christmas party they would do every year. At work. Uh, she was very very funny. Anyway. I, we had we actually had uh, when I was at Much Music. I've I realized it at the time, but there was never going to be a more free, larger platform for me yeah. to have. Like yeah. it was wild. Like I would go to I would sit there smoke a shit ton of weed at the vape bar come up with a story idea that was like completely nuts. Like it was like drama club, but they were filming it and putting it on national TV, you know, like it was by, especially towards the end because no one was watching. You could do whatever the fuck you wanted. Like there was so much weird shit we got on there that just like, there's so, no way we, should've. I know we, I know you were trying to wrap it up and I will let you, but, but I don't want, I don't want, I didn't want to wrap up. I was giving you guys a mercy. If you guys just, wanted to just, tap out, maybe we're on, maybe this is episode two. We'll just cut it. This is the beginning of episode two. <laughs> but there was a much West and then they, they ended up doing a much East as well. And there were so Mike Campbell, who, who ran that thing was so desperate for content. Like I basically got to be on it. <laughs> I had a, I had a TV show. Like I was on TV all the time. It's like, what can we do? Well, let's get let's put the super friends. We'll get on a boat, and like, it's just so stupid. Like it, it was great. Like anyway, it, it was cool. It was honestly. I look back at Moses Neimer, and obviously there's there's other things with Moses Neimer that that I I'm not as much a fan of, but like he was a visionary the way he saw media like he perf- he 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 pre foretold where media was going in the idea that it wasn't going bigger budget it was going lower budget and as everyone else was kind of like expanding he was kind of looking at the fact that like people wanted to see themselves on tv like speaker's corner you know yep. or or even like the new music the way the new music was done as a tv show was very similar to like pitchfork and things like that now where it was very editorial very political like it, it like it's very progressive TV, and I looked at all the stuff that w- we were doing on Much Music now, and and look at the stuff that my kids watch on YouTube, and I'm like, holy shit! Like this is Much Music VJ content in between episodes, but you know, with young people like having fun and doing silly things that seem you know off the fly, but they're kind of a little premeditated sometimes, but it's still ultimately off the fly. Like that's the that's the type of content we were making. Well, if I see any of these young kids doing Santa, I'm going to say, I was doing that in 2000. <laughs> you you didn't dress up as Santa at our uh, Christmas show the time you came and sang with us. You right? did. Didn't I you? did. Yeah, yeah, I did. You took my hat, though, because I've seen pictures of you wearing a hat. Right. At some point in that when you came out and did those songs with us. That but was had, super sick. That was the coolest. But I had done Santa before that. I kind of you kind of stole my act in a few ways. Doesn't well, matter. I think I think ultimately, like we all stole like a lot of people's act, <laughs> Chris. Like, I don't know if you can claim the whole Santa thing. I have um, to, I have to admit though, you, uh, you know, you probably had to pad it out a lot more than I did. Like, I didn't have to pad it out, so really, I was probably the better Santa. The, the the thing that I did, literally, like, there was an audience that they tried to wrangle. There was hardly any people there, but it was just like Santa. What's it like? 
what's it like delivering presents and then just like no prep like i just had to oh ho, ho, well like and just terrible jokes it was just like an hour of of tv and there were commercials like i'm sure the people who paid for ads were like what the fuck is this <laughs> much music one time did before um like a much music video awards when i was working there they're like hey we got this thing hooked up with youtube where they're going to start doing these youtube live streams and this is going to be one of the first ones uh can you uh do this thing for us and i'm like sure because i'm like i i'm i you know could pick and choose what i wanted to do at much music and i always wanted to stay away from the award show because i had such a terrible time at it every time i went and so they're like, okay, just do this pre-show thing for us. And it was four hours of just like going live. And then, and they give me a break every hour. I go down to the bathroom, smoke weed in the bathroom. Smoke weed's a reoccurring theme on this thing. <laughs> and then come up and be like, all right, here we are for another hour. Let's just fucking talk shit. And people would be like writing in and like they were moderating the comments because I'm sure the comments were pretty harsh at different yeah. times, especially when I took my shirt off. But uh, <laughs> But it was like on YouTube's front page at one point, they're like, there's like a hundred thousand viewers right now. There's two hundred thousand viewers, and it was just like no script. I'm like, this is insane. Like they gave me this much rope to essentially yeah. bring down loose. the whole company yeah. with if I wanted to. <laughs> Maybe you did. There's no more much music. They That's got rid right. of the brand. Yeah. <laughs> I killed that. I held I held the wedge in my arm like the wedge in my arms like a baby as it died. You know, yeah. just like oh, there goes my thing that my childhood. Well, we love you for it. Well, I love you guys for this. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, we'll do part two in, uh, eventually. Well, thanks for having me on and thinking of me and being nice to me. And and uh, goodbye. Thanks hey, who for, you want to say anything? Yeah. Um, um, I just realized I go to bed at 10 these days. So I'm, I've zoned out a bit. Um, well, you, whatever time it is, that must mean it's 10 past 10 because you went to bed about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 1040. <laughs> it's very late. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it though. Um, and, uh, I look forward to doing it again with you guys. Right on. A lot of fun. Um, and, uh, different topics maybe next time will be fun. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.